Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Logbook, specifically the 25th episode of The Logbook. This is a show where we go over the news and anything else that's on the top of our minds in the world of video games. I'm one of your hosts, John Patty, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, James Robinson. James, I've been dying to ask you this week, and really just all of quarantine, um, what's the first thing, What I put it this way, aside from being with your lovely girlfriend of the show, what is the first social move you're going to make when we're back to some form of normalcy? Like, What's the first thing? Are you going to go to a pub? Are you going to go to someone's house? Are you going to, to play games? Like, what, what does that look like for you? The first big thing? Well, I mean, I don't know if it's the first thing I'm going to do, but I've really missed bowling. I like bowling. Was not expecting that. <laughs> obviously been in a very long time. I like bowling. That's that's my, you know, I miss that. But it's also kind of like when you think about all the the germs and stuff, yeah. probably not the best idea. Also, like going to the arcade or something mm-hmm. like um, the the rec room, which I'm very close to now, but I haven't been able to take advantage of. Yeah, that sucks. I didn't. even. Or, yeah, I guess I guess going to a movie theater, that's probably that's realistically that's probably the first thing because that's more if they keep up with like reduced capacity i would feel that's probably the only like one of the few social things i'd feel somewhat safe doing Mm -hmm. i guess like i don't know if i'd want to go to like a crowded pub or anything like i'm not really a pub guy anyway uh more of a Fortnite guy more of a club guy just kidding that was a bad joke it's pub (laughs) PUBG. Never mind. (laughs) I liked it. I liked it. Okay, good. Anyway, what about you? Well, see, the thing is, like, I I do want to have drinks with friends. Like, I'm dying to have too many i don't need to do that at a pub though i'd, I'd like to do that at someone's that house. is that is correct and i would <laughs> i agree with that drinks, i agree with that it's drinks in the backyard yeah 100 that's probably the first move for me but like also i just love endless guinness on tap that's just like mm. that's what i'm yeah. craving and then i want other humans i like around me while i do that and then i could talk to them or not talk to them <laughs> um fair enough no but that and also i was thinking like I was just talking to uh, to Rose and like, um, let alone with all this stuff going on, I would be very hesitant with a concert again. But now I'm, mm, I'm also yeah. just becoming, even before quarantine was happening, like we went to see Destroyer, uh, you and I and your brother. Um, and was Bianca there as well or no? I don't know if she was. I can't remember. I think she, she was. I think she was. She was to that one? I think so. I believe so. Um, and that was like, dude, what was that? Like a few weeks before lockdown? Like, yeah, that was. That was quite that soon was before. F- that was February, February. Yeah. I think it was February. It was like last three, year, four yeah. weeks before lockdown, man. And then next thing yeah. you know, like, who knew that that would be the last concert I see for a, over a year at this point? And, but then I realized, like, actually, I don't know. I, I was. I still love concerts, but, you know, I don't I'm less eager to jump on anyone that sounds even remotely good to me. You know, like I. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm, I feel that I, I've I've been kind of getting that way, too. Um, I think it, it was more of a like I just get 
tired like i was working early mornings and and i'd get tired when i'd have to go and just kind of want it to end uh but like recently there's been very few concerts i've been to where i haven't been like okay well when's this wrapping up like the last one i remember not wanting to end was when we saw shame and that was uh Mm. two years ago i guess i guess i didn't really want radiohead to end either because that was a really good one too Uh, yeah i relate to that oh yeah John didn't get to come. <laughs> Thank you for listening not, to the podcast, everybody. You can find it's us on all major funny. platforms. Uh, no, okay. it's, it's really sad. It's his favorite I, band. I, dude, I was willing to go to some crazy extents to see them. I know you were. And I almost, I actually almost did those things. I know. But I was like, okay, no, I got to save somebody for that. Because I was going to go see uh, my girlfriend at the time. To- not girlfriend at the time. Well, at <laughs> the time, I was going to see my girlfriend who was in ireland for her studies and i i i was so mad because i had that plane ticket booked for a while and radiohead announces a tour for moonshape pool their their last album from 2016 and i'm like it's like and they, they are announcing like the north american branch of the tour and i'm like before i i saw the headline of the article i'm like i fucking know that they're going to be in Canada when I'm leaving Canada. I fucking know it. I just absolutely fucking know it. Lo and behold, it's like three days into my Ireland trip. Is it when they're hitting? Was it when they're hitting up the? Uh, well, at the time, the Air Canada Center in Toronto, and I was like, okay, but wait, like beforehand, they're in Montreal. So what if I took a via train up to Montreal, went to see Radiohead by myself, then stayed in a hotel, then got on a plane the next day to go to Ireland, like? And I was like, I, I'm pretty sure I actually like booked a via train t- ticket, um, but it was a more expensive one so that you could actually get a refund within like a few hours or whatever. And I was just looking at the radio head tickets. And I was like, uh, and I looked at my budget that I had for spending on the trip and I was like, God damn it. Get the, get the refund on the train ticket. God damn it. <laughs> like <laughs> it's just not happening. Um, but here's hoping that whatever quarantines up, they actually get together again and uh, make new music and uh, hopefully tour again. Because that's one yeah. concert I absolutely will see. Yeah. I mean, I've seen them twice already, but I've definitely <laughs> seen them again. <laughs> that's amazing, uh, James. Um, that's not as it's. – I'm not as bad as my brother, though, or Bianca. <laughs> yeah, I've seen them twice, too, in the same country, which was <laughs> the Netherlands or whatever. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, anyway, this isn't a podcast about – seeing radiohead live in concert although i'm sure bianca that's for her, that's that's my brother's partner i'm sure she would be able to make a podcast all about that because she's seen them so many damn times but it's about video games this podcast mm-hmm. um so uh yeah john why don't you kick us off with our first bit of news we're a bit light on news this week but i think we'll uh we'll, we'll get a little bit of a yeah. conversation going about this first thing especially i don't actually have the document pulled up in front of me for some reason but i'm assuming it has to do uh with some uh, sad news that sony dropped is that correct james that is correct okay, that is correct uh so uh it was reported i think actually sometime last week possibly two weeks ago by the gamer who got the scoop on this uh and that is somebody Yo, a source the the gamer yeah the game oh my god yeah oh my god yeah the, like the guy he's got the neck beard and in, in his mother's basement and everything it's like it's the him it's him the redditor no. oh, shit. um it's crazy <laughs> no but the gamer uh an actually good reputable outlet despite the kind of funny name um they got a scoop from somebody that that sony was going to be 
permanently shutting down, you know, ceasing operations of uh, the PlayStation 3 digital storefront, the PSP digital storefront, and the PS Vita digital storefront sometime later this year. And this week, that came true. That, 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 or I should say that news was confirmed by Sony themselves. Uh, specifically, the PlayStation 3 and PSP stores, respectively, will be shutting down in early J- uh, July of this year. And then the PS Vita will be shutting down August 27th of this year. So very sad news all around. Uh, what the hell, Sony? After Nintendo, you have probably the most valuable uh, and popular IP in the face of video games. And uh, you don't seem very interested in preserving it all that well. <laughs> yeah like i saw some quotes about like i think jim ryan who's the ceo of sony said some stuff about like a few years ago said stuff about that would indicate not really caring about game preservation that much mm-hmm. and they care about like you know making the next new thing and i i don't know i, I just like this just goes to show that you gotta like i don't think uh physical games media can go anywhere because that's like the only way you're going to guarantee that you can preserve some of these old games Mm -hmm. but even then there's so many digital only games that are probably getting lost to time now um it's probably a lot of hidden gems that just uh you won't be able to find anymore and kind of sucks really yeah really sucks and a couple notes there i'm glad you brought up the you know digital games being lost because it, it sounds weird but like that loss of history is going to be happening for games that aren't even out yet. Developers have also, there's since been a follow-up uh, story on the gamer on all of this, the fallout of this, which is a lot of indie developers who had projects planned for the Vita because that's still a relatively modern platform that was only recently discontinued. Um, they had as a way to get some kind of exposure on a, on a handheld platform. Uh, they had projects lined up that they're still making now, or I should say were making for the Vita. And then they found out at the same time as all of us, that that digital storefront is going down the drain in a few months. And then with likely no funding and, and publishing resources to go behind a physical re, uh, uh, release, they just have to go, oh, okay, scrap the project. I'm done. Matt can't do it. Can't do it. Can't put it out. Yeah, no matter how far uh, in they are. That's really shitty that that has to happen. Um, like, I hope that they can reallocate their resources. And I, like, I mean, it's probably really difficult to just change to a new platform, but I hope this hasn't resulted in too many jobs lost or anything or like a really, you know, cool creative idea just getting completely shut down. Um but yeah, like in the, in the total opposite of move of Sony and in the sense Nintendo too, Microsoft just announced that they're going to like make cloud like make all like so many old games uh, playable on the cloud. Um, I think that's what it was. Yeah, basically. You might be able to explain a little better than me. Yeah, basically. So like going into, I mean, it's kind of. <laughs> It's so funny how these these three sort of tie together right now. These companies in this in this topic of uh, preservation and stuff like that. I think unnecessary rewind very quickly back in the release of the Xbox One. Xbox One. One of many reasons it was shit on uh, was the issue of backwards compatibility. It was it wasn't you couldn't play you know certain older 360 games and X, original Xbox games, and there's outcry about that. To which the people over you know handling the PS4 
uh, made a lot of jabs as part of their marketing in the direction of Xbox. In fact, they even delayed right. an E3 <clears throat> presentation so that I am forgetting both of their names. Two key sort of executive figures over PlayStation could film a little bit of marketing peripheral uh, video uh, in the direction of, of Xbox after that announcement. And it was something like, like it had the classic Sony blue background with the white font that we know with, with PlayStation. And it was like, um, how to, uh, like how to borrow PlayStation, old PlayStation games. And it's like step one, borrow the PlayStation game. And then it shows, uh, Shue Yoshida, I believe his name is, I, I, I could be mispronouncing that. I apologize. Uh, and, uh, Adam, Adam Boyes, that's his name. Adam Boyes. Uh, like he was just handing Adam Boyes a PlayStation 4 physical copy disc. They both look at the camera and go, thanks. And that's it. <laughs> like that's there you go. That's the whole process. So it was super petty, super passive aggressive, but hilarious. Uh, but eventually after Phil Spencer took over at Xbox, they turned things around. They announced backwards compatibility, full backwards compatibility in the Xbox one. And ever since then, starting with Xbox being horrible with backwards compatibility and therefore in a sense preservation, are now the leaders in the industry of the major console players, I should say, the leaders yeah. in game preservation. And so what this newest addition to that is, is that all a lot of the key uh, th Xbox 360 games that have been sort of slightly enhanced and optimized better for these new generation of consoles, that same kind of performance and, and just or even the ability to play them in the first place is coming to uh, the cloud version of their of their game pass service so you could play gears of war 2 on your cell phone you could play uh fallout new vegas on your cell phone so far it's only limited to android but i'm assuming that that program is going to expand a little further uh sometime relatively soon i think man the idea of playing those types of games on your phone is just crazy to fucking me. Like bonkers I, I wouldn't i personally wouldn't want to play them on my phone yeah yeah but like it's just wild that that's that's something you can do um but yeah i mean you mentioned before before we started recording that like you know xbox has been around the least amount of time out of the big three sony nintendo microsoft and yet they're the ones caring the most about game preservation which is just wild because now we've got like you know, Sony shutting down their stores, uh, Nintendo shut down the Wii shop, I think, last year, or maybe it was early this year. Um, and all this stuff going on with Mario's 35th anniversary, mm -hmm. Rip Mario. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, Microsoft is just putting so much more effort into making sure that all of the games that anyone has ever put on an Xbox can be played still, which is great. Yeah, but... 100% and like it's it's not even you bring up one part of it which is that they've been around the least at least uh, the shortest amount of time I don't know why I struggle to say that um, but not even that just for full you know full transparency sake I'm a huge Xbox fan I use my Xbox Series X and even before then my Xbox one and I had 360 all the way to the original I've played Xbox for most of my life I love the company but I think from like a sales perspective, from a, I guess, like the cultural zeitgeist, you know, I, I think it's reasonable to say objectively that there it, he, Xbox has been the weakest of the big three in terms of impact and rec like recognizable 
yeah. IP in video games. And that's not a dig. And yet, no, like I, like, I don't really think anyone could could really argue that. Like you, you can't really. You can show Master Chief to the layman, and they probably know who that is. But you can't really show yeah. like Marcus Phoenix or hell, even Banjo Kazooie. Well, that's, there you go. It started yeah, what was yeah. famous on Nintendo, right? Like, yeah, there you go. Exactly. So, so here we are with the company that, again, just from a historical analysis perspective, has had the weakest original output. And I mean, you look at the last generation, the biggest problem with the Xbox One, aside from the whole thing I just talked about backwards compatibility and like the connect bullshit was no, a lack of original first party content. And here we are with them acting as if they have the most IP to, to safeguard and hold close to their chest and preserve for years to come. But they don't, they're just, they're just making sure that people, whether you played perfect dark uh, on an original Xbox day one when it came back out in the day, or you're going to play it for on your cell phone for the first time ever, because that's actually one of the games you're going to be able to play is Perfect Dark. It's important. Th- those two people with those different circumstances are just as important in Microsoft's eyes because the games are good. They meant something. They've impacted other games and therefore have a stamp on the industry. And also like historical preservation just as a concept in general for most things is very important. So I'm I hundred percent support Microsoft in doing this, and it just makes the whole Sony thing with the digital storefronts even worse, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. Like, and it's not it. It kind of extends to other companies' games too, because like third party mm-hmm. games are still playable on Xbox. Like, and it's not. Ex- I don't think it's exactly the same as the X Cloud thing, but like, you can still play all the like all the old Sonic games on. Uh, on the xbox and i'm not 100 percent sure but you might even be able to play shadow the hedgehog on on xbox currently oh man which is just the dream it is um so yeah like good on xbox sony like i mean there's not even really like i don't know how much it costs to keep the storefront running yeah or how much bandwidth it takes to keep it running like I, I don't know. Like, I, I just can't imagine. I can't imagine it's that much and it still makes the money. Like they don't have to put money into advertising anything, but like they're still going to get some small financial gain from, from keeping it. I don't know if it costs more to run than they're making, but I, yeah. yeah. Like I'm really glad you brought that up because it just made me, it kind of, you know when someone's talking and like you'll be like oh i just thought of this and it's like one thought but then there's sometimes when someone's talking it'll spark like a thought which sparks another thought which sparks another thought i just had come one of those and that so i'm not too worried about talking long because this is almost like this is it's basically not even really a news segment it's basically like a news slash games preservation talk before we get into some other stuff today but um it just got me thinking of like you know obviously we are not business professionals we are not you know, like server operators who understand the overhead cost of these things. We're, you know, we're like, we're not just claiming it's a super snap your fingers, easy as pie thing to keep up. Of course not. Speak for yourself. I'm (laughs) claiming that right now. I have a certificate in snapping your fingers and making stuff stay up. Uh, No, but (laughs) um, I don't know if you could hear that. that (laughs) I I could, I could. That was a crisp, crisp snap. Um, Good, good. Because I have my headphones on. I couldn't really hear it. Uh, but it got me thinking, you know, Reggie fils the legendary Reggie fils the Reginator, you know, his body is, is, uh, continues to be ready. Um, 
he's been doing in his I'm going to say semi-retirement. I I find it hard to believe that dude's retired. He's still doing so much. Um, in his semi-retirement, he still has he's still so involved in the games industry at a different angle, at the the not-for-profit level, at the educational level for different students of different you know uh, lower income and and, and, and more uh, you know uh, tar. What am I trying to say here? Lower income communities is one descriptor, I guess. Um, and he's do, been doing a lot of like news rounds, a lot of interviews, a lot of podcast guest spots and stuff. And when people get him to reminisce on his time as president of uh, Nintendo of America, you know, they also ask him questions about what's it like, especially with the idea of console wars and all that tribalism that happens in the games games industry that's complete horseshit. Um, and he says, you know, even though games, he said, I believe it was in an interview uh, with uh, Danny Pena, who runs Gamertag Radio, which is like, I'm pretty sure like the longest running video game podcast ever. I think I'm pretty sure, actually. So shout out to Gamertag Radio. Um, he did an interview there and he was saying that even though games are literally the biggest form of entertainment on the planet, like by a stupidly hefty margin, um, it is also very small, like in a not literal sense, but very small in terms of everyone knows everyone kind of thing. And that's in large part because people like Reggie, people like Phil, people like Jim Ryan, Phil, Phil Spencer, that is at Xbox and Jim Ryan over at Sony, a big part of their job as ex- fig- key figureheads in the games industry is aside from bolstering the success of their own companies is to actually come together periodically like probably semi-annually to go over uh like key issues in the games industry as a whole i forget the name of the organization i forget the name of the board or whatever that they're a part of uh but that's a key thing it's like okay well you know let's talk about uh esrb rating related stuff let's talk about uh the tariffs like remember when trump was imposing tariffs on video games and or materials related to video games and so like the phil jim and reggie came together to sign a letter those meetings happen every multiple times a year and so what i'm thinking is what the whole the reason i got on this tangent is i it's so fascinating that even though there's libraries and organizations that are embedded into the mainstream movie industry and music industry for preservation of their mediums uh, of their that's probably improper grammar anyways uh preservation of their art we seem to struggle with that a little bit in games and so in those opportunities where you are coming together for these crucial meetings and these crucial discussions around broader things that will help the industry as a whole not just their own individual corporations you know why not come up with some kind of a, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? A, a cr- industry-wide solution to preservation, uh, aside from just constantly leaving it into the hands of the big guys of just like, this is Nintendo's library games, and this is how we're going to handle it. We did the virtual console. Now we're not doing the virtual console anymore. And eh, we're kind of are doing our own thing. Here's Sony's library. Eh, we're going to do with that what we want. We don't care about backwards compatibility. We're going to shut down XYZ stores because of operational costs, blah, 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 blah. And here's Xbox doing a great job of it. But why isn't there maybe a slightly more uniform agnostic source of, okay, here's, you know, major titles from XYZ library and, and companies and stuff that could be used, I don't know, for 
like almost like a royalty free type situation like some kind of a portal uh i i don't even know what the hell i'm talking about anymore but i hope so- this is somewhat made sense i mean i get you yeah no i get your point like i mean just put it into simple terms of like movies are preserved as a form of entertainment music is preserved as a form of entertainment why not video games as well like they're just as big culturally as as the 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 former two Mm -hmm. um they deserve like people put just as much work into making a game as they do making a movie you could argue more work and it depends on the production Mm -hmm. i guess but uh you know like there's there's their labors of love they deserve to be preserved um just like other forms of entertainment or any other form of art because that's what we're talking about here like Mm -hmm. can i i think it would be foolish to argue against video games being an expression like an artful expression or an artistic expression because they are absolutely and yeah so finding a way to preserve all of that is important you might say it's a bit of a puzzle to preserve that oh that's very good <laughs> to figure out the, to find the solution to preserve very good i like video games I was thinking about that the whole time <laughs> you were talking. I was like, Stalling I don't like to find a good segue. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, that's, that's the end of our new segment. And we're going to talk about puzzles now in games. Uh, so not, not necessarily puzzle games, just puzzles in gaming, solving, solving puzzles in games. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this, this is kind of spurred on t- because of uh, a game John played this week. So I, mm. I guess, and one I played too, but you know what? We'll let John kick us off with, it was a PlayStation Plus free game for the month of March. Twas indeed. Twas indeed. Twas indeed. Um, and also just to add on quickly, it's also not going to be a, uh, the best puzzles in all of gaming. Like, oh, in this specific dungeon of Zelda, this is my top three. No, 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 none of that. Just no. in general, what we like, dislike, find interesting about puzzle solving in games. Um, with that said, yes, uh, I, during my week off that James also shares with me as we are between contracts, um, I've uh, been looking for games to not just play, but beat uh, beaten two and you know dig dug into some other ones and one of those is uh, a playstation plus game that was free for the month of march alongside final fantasy 7 and uh, some, a couple others uh, called maquette uh, which is for those who don't know a first person perspective puzzle game uh, published by annapurna interactive god damn i love annapurna interactive they basically can do no wrong uh, <laughs> so far um, and it's yeah first person perspective where the, the the premise is this this whimsical colorful and vivid uh almost carnival-esque world unravels around you uh based on the narration of a a, a couple's love and an eventual breakup story and it's told through specifically i guess through the lens of this sketchbook that the the man finds uh that him and his partner used to share and draw in together and so all the depictions of you know the location of their first date and their first home and their friend's home where they met up at a party and all this stuff it's all shown around you in this dome this like set piece dome 
called the maquette. And the entire puzzle gimmick of the game is that as you stand inside the dome that is the maquette with four key buildings and set pieces around you that have their own intricate puzzles and stuff within them and that represent a different phase in this couple story, there's also a smaller version of the maquette in the very middle. And what you do is you have size scaling puzzle solving. So basically, if I, not that you can actually do this, this is just an example of like the the, the size idea you want to talk about. If I was to go to the model table, the model maquette <clears throat> in the middle that's small, and pick up a house and move the house, the actual real life size big house right near me outside the dome will move as well in that same way, right? So there's that one-to-one -one control uh, or one-to-one-to-one, -to -one -to -one, as you'll find in some cases, it gets even bigger, gets even smaller kind of thing. Um, and yeah, that is super cool. I can't remember a game. Games have done it before in a sense, but having a whole puzzle game revolve around that idea is not something that I've experienced before. And I thought overall, like definitely had some rough edges, the game in, in different ways, but I guess the core puzzle solving itself was really good. And I'm really glad that I picked it up and beat it because it was only like four to five hours long. Like I got like, I think 60 to 70% of the trophy completion in just the full playthrough in the day, right? Um, yeah, a lot of fun, great gimmick. I, if you haven't downloaded it already, do so before April 5th because that's when the next uh, flurry of free games come out for PS Plus. Um, and just, just give it a try because it's a lot of fun. And uh, I would love to see, uh, by the way, those rough edges I was talking about mainly have to do with some story related stuff as well as like a couple of janky bits here and there. But if they, the gimmick and the way, like the focus on the size and stuff like that, if somebody else could take that mechanic and apply it to perhaps a more interesting story and different genre altogether, oh man, sign me up. Well, I I haven't played this game myself, but there's one, I think it's on all platforms called Super Liminal that deals yeah. with the first person deals with like puzzle solving in terms of like changing size, except I think it's like you hold, you pick up objects and then depending on your perspective, you can make it like larger if the backdrop like if it fills the backdrop of a room and you drop it then it just becomes massive yes, or something like that. i know that. what you're talking about yeah <clears throat> so that might be a one to check out if you if you liked that kind of gimmick I'm, I'm not sure but so what about the puzzle solving made it interesting hmm well i think you know there's the initial satisfaction of like you know as as they scale up you know, they introduce the mechanics to you and stuff like that as you, you know, you're introduced to the story, you walk through, you enter the maquette, you're introduced to the controls and how everything works and stuff like that. Obviously, there's a little bit of like slow ramping up and scaling and in, in, in player introduction that happens there. So obviously, first thing I liked that was super satisfying was, you know, seeing a brick, a giant brick blocking the way in front of this, in front of the real sized house that I needed to get to. So it's like, okay, well, how do I fix that? Okay, go to the model table, pick up that small brick, slide it over. Would you look at that in real life? It's it's open now. So there's that, just like the way it's designed and the, how the game looks is very pretty. So there's just that, there's a real sense of scale and kind of awe-inspiring vibes going on when that happens. Uh, but I'm, at a more detailed level, 
you kind of have to play around with the sequence of things. So, so for example, you know, there might be a locked door, like a real, a, a regular, we'll call, I'll, okay, I'll say t for the model size thing, I'll say tiny for one-to-one -one scale that's proportioned to you, I'll say regular size, and I'll say like large or extra large for like the really huge things that happen. Mm -hmm. So let's say you need to get to through a regular size door, but the only key that's available to you is a large or extra large key that you it's so big you can't even pick it up, right? Mm -hmm. But it's the only key that exists. Okay, how do you get... Or no, it's not the only key that exists. But either way, how do you get that giant key to be a regular size key? Not an, a tiny key, because it needs to be a regular size key to get into the regular size door. How do you take that? So going back and forth between, okay, if I take this regular size object as its regular size and put it in the mini table, it will come out on the actual regular size world as a giant key. Okay, what if I take a tiny key and put it in the tiny model table it almost will be so tiny it's non-existent in the regular world okay so how do we get in between the two okay i need to take the i need to take the like i don't even know i don't even know how, how did to you like, did you make did you make this puzzle up right now and you're trying to actively no. solve it yes. as you go, or is it actually one? Yes and no. Yes and no. Okay. I'm I'm combining okay. two separate key puzzles together because I can't remember exactly one of Oh, that's what it was. That's what it was. Uh so that either way, I think you're probably you see where I'm getting at a little bit with just like the sequence in which you need to fit to to get the appropriate size for something to therefore progress in the puzzle in a certain yeah. part of the world yeah. is super cool how they did that and really got your brain twisted in a satisfying way so that when you finally crack the code it's like ah yes here we go right yeah that 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 aha moment or that sense of satisfaction that you get when you you figure out what you need to do and and how you do it is just immensely satisfying like it, it, i guess it depends on the game and it depends on the puzzle but most of the time it's a really satisfying feeling just solving a puzzle. Um, and I, I really enjoy uh, any time that I can get that, that satisfaction. So I played a game called Hue this week, H-U-E. Uh, mm -hmm. um, and it's uh, all about color and changing color so of, of the world. So basically how it works is... Uh, you start out, everything's in black and white, and then you find, you, you have like a wheel, an empty wheel that you can access, and then you slowly throughout the game, you're filling it with different colors. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it changes the background of the world. So if you find... Um, like there will be, and there will be certain objects that are specific color. So if you find like a path that's blocked by blue boulders, you change the background to blue. Mm -hmm. You can't see the boulders anymore, so you can just walk right through where those boulders oh, were. Oh, nice. Okay. So it's just this really great buildup of slowly adding more more colors to your wheel and figuring out how you can manipulate the background to get boxes and 
get yourself to where you need to go. It's like a puzzle platformer, mm-hmm. uh, 2D, like side-scrolling puzzle platforming game. Um, and just like the the different mechanics it brings in and the way it all ramps up is very satisfying and and very challenging like it's a good it's a really good difficulty curve uh getting like ramping up all the way to the end um and i think there were a couple i try not to look up solutions anymore but there were a couple where i just had to i I just had to get myself an inkling of what to do online so that i could get forward because i just wasn't something just wasn't clicking with me and then it's like oh shit that was super obvious like why didn't i why didn't i think of that in the first place to 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 do that so like you get you get puzzles where you've got like uh solid brick walls of three different colors on the top of a like uh, hanging down from the ceiling that you can't move and underneath them there's the same colors of different boxes that you can move. So you've got to figure out how you can change the background and change the order of the boxes so that you can jump across this gap to get to the door to leave the room. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, you, you, if you if you change the background of, uh, of the room to a color, to one of the boxes that's there, you can then push one of the other boxes that you can still see through that spot, making it on the other side, and then you can change up the order that way. So there's just some, that's a very simple example of some of the puzzles that you can do. But later on in the game, there's, they introduce like uh, lasers, like colored lasers that kill you if you touch them and like getting the lasers to touch um, specific points to open doors or paint that makes boxes or different objects a different color so there's like figuring out what color you want to make it or trying to make it so you don't change the color of the box Mm. so that you keep it the same and that was there was some really challenging puzzles with that mechanic in mind um but yeah it's a pretty short game like maquette that's that's the thing i like about some of these specific puzzle games is that they don't overstay their welcome uh they know they know when they've done everything they can with their idea and then they they stop or they've done just enough to make it so that you stayed interested the whole time Mm -hmm. um so yeah that's one i would recommend it was only like two dollars on sale and i think it goes on sale pretty frequently on the e-shop so i definitely recommend checking that one out i already told a girlfriend of the show to play it she's been working her way through it i beat it in one sitting uh because i knew how long it was and i just had nothing to do on sunday so that's that's how i spent my day um i would caution against that though because later levels changing the background so frequently maybe it's just a me problem but mm. that kind of hurt my eyes because the color oh, i get are, that that would pr- probably kind of hurt my eyes too dark. yeah so maybe taken in uh, in bite-sized chunks but yeah it's uh, it's a fun game yeah um I, I want to move away from specific puzzle games, though, and just talk about uh, puzzles in games. So uh, there's probably a series that comes to mind for both of us 
that we can't seem to go an episode without mentioning. But Immortals Phoenix Rising. I was actually going to bring that up at some point. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's good puzzles in that game. I do genuinely think there are some. You know what? Let's talk about that first then, because that that did genuinely have some. I still haven't picked it back good... up, though. By the way, so I'm not that far at all. But <laughs> okay, well, I'm not going to remember any specific puzzles. I'll just like we can just talk about the general idea of of them. It's it's a lot to do with simple, uh, you know, pressure plates and getting boxes on right switches or fight like finding a way to get yeah. boxes or crates to to put on the switches but like they do a lot with it all the vaults of tartarus um there's some really great puzzles in them combined with some fun platforming mm-hmm. um i i i thoroughly enjoyed that game i thought they did a really good job with all the puzzles in it yeah i think immortal phoenix rising brings up kind of a good a good example of this is just how I very in a basic sense, look at puzzle puzzle games and how like they're kind of broken down into kind of the two broad categories for me are a single puzzle gimmick or puzzle concept that then you get the, you run the full gamut of difficulty and intricacy of, or you have a whole shitload of different puzzles that are all basically the same difficulty level, pretty easy, but quick and snappy. Right. Do, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? So like, I think, yeah, I, I think Immortals Phoenix Rising hits the second one where I have not encountered a puzzle that's like, oh, my God, I'm pulling out my hair, you know, but because I did no. quite a few of the side puzzles before going on to another part of the story. But like, it's just there's a lot of variety, like there's a lot of physical, you know, oh, I got to hit X, Y, Z points in a certain amount of time and beat the, you know, beat the timer. Or I have to, like you said, put X object on X switch. I have to flow through the wind tunnels a certain way i have to shoot my arrows through certain loops in a certain pattern and it's like yeah none of these are hard but there's just so many of them that come at you one in in so different ways on top of all the other combat and stuff that it's like yeah it's 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 constantly refreshing you a little bit yeah and like the other thing about about it and this is true of uh of breath of the wild as well um because it's obviously a sequel to that game um they design they often design them in a pretty open-ended way so you can find your own solution Mm -hmm. to the puzzles which is another fun thing um yeah like i i don't necessarily have to be like super challenged or have those head scratching moments to enjoy a puzzle like you said like most of the ones in immortals weren't that difficult i'm sure i could i'm sure i could point to like one or two Mm -hmm. that i just couldn't figure out right away and took me a while but like for the most part and same with breath of the wild like you don't you're not going to necessarily end up super stuck on them but just there's a satisfaction to untangling like even if you know exactly the steps you need to take there's a satisfaction to untangling a web or a mess of blocks and 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 getting the path forward uh that i really enjoy so yeah i I absolutely would put like you could break the puzzles puzzles overall in those two categories that you just put because like there were there was a good mix of that in uh in hue i think of the ones where you could just look at it and know exactly what to do or you look at and like well i know 
I know I have to get this there, but like, how the hell do I do that if this happens when I do this or, or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's merit to both. Yeah, I think another thing that comes to mind was something that I've, I guess I've always looked for in, in, in puzzles, in games, but I, I've only really just consciously recently just been consciously like, oh my God, yes, this needs to be right in order for it to be good. One thing that brought Maquette down a bit in moments that kind of made you just go, oh God, seriously, come on, like is like, especially if it's an indie game, like, dude, I'm not that picky about jank, right? Jankiness happens. You can usually push through it. Sometimes it's charming, right? Obviously, that's a bit of a slippery slope when you get into the Bethesda territory because it starts off charming and then it keeps happening game after game after game. And then you start excusing <laughs> things. Fault 76 happens. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> um, so to an extent, if it does not truly interfere with your experience, really, jank is fine. You, you'll get through it. It's fine. However, the biggest thing that kept happening on three occasions, which again, short game, where it's broken down into major puzzles. So it's like on three separate instances at different points of the game, that's a that's significant to me, is mm-hmm. that the key form of movement, you know, it's like, okay, you're in first person perspective. You're, I'm a, I think you're playing as the man. It's, a, it's kind of vague and vague that way. They don't really explicitly tell you, but you're playing as the, I, the man, I think, in the, the relationship. Um, and even though there's some moments where you get into like a super large scale zone where like your travel speed is like like Mm -hmm. i'm walking to this giant fence outside this giant house so like it takes a long time there's not really a sprint button so that was kind of annoying but it didn't interfere the camera was super weird and kind of like made you a little queasy at first moving around because it's like almost like a like not a smooth frame rate camera but again, doesn't really. Oh, they have like a. Is it like motion blur or something? Kind of. Kind is? of. Yeah, um, not, a, not a big fan. Of but that. again, doesn't interfere with your gameplay. So it's like, okay, you can live with those two things. The a third kind of jank that happened a lot was item interaction. But item interaction is the fundamental mm-hmm. puzzle solving thing, the thing that you do to go forward in the game. And so I, yeah. I kept finding on, on three, these three occasions was. I would I would be at a head scratching moment at this puzzle. I'm like, how did that not work? What like what what the hell's the answer? Like, and I would sit there for like 20 minutes, whereas the other puzzles were maybe five to ten. And you're like, what the hell is the answer to this puzzle? Like, how did I not know? And it turns out the very first thing you thought of was correct the whole time. It's just uh like for example, again, and this one is is true, it's a key example again, but um the way you control items is basically, you know, first part, you're in first person, there's an item on the ground, you pick it up with square and you kind of hold it in front of you. You see it a little bit in front of you and you can run around with it to take it to wherever. If you want mm-hmm. to like click it into place somewhere and, you know, really position it at a specific angle in a specific spot, say on the model table, you hold, I believe, circle or triangle. Uh, and it kind of sh- shoots it a little bit in front of you. You can manipulate the angle of it and and the you know perspective of it that way, right? And so let's say you have a big, pretty big key that gets into a big door. You hold circle or triangle, whichever it is, it, like holds it out in front of you. You tilt it, and then it, and then it'll kind of do an automated like animation of, oh, there we go. It's lined up, chicken turn, and then oh yeah, the door's open. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. On three occasions, 
with a key or like a square into a slot or whatever it may be. It's just that all it was was I was like millimeters off on the holding out of the item for the animation not to activate. And so I had this key out in front of me at the door and I was positioning it and I'm like, wait, how this key doesn't fit this lock? What? Uh, This isn't the answer? What? So I'm like, I'm running around and you end up just like, oh my God, I I guess, fuck, okay, 20 minutes later, I got to try the key on the door again. Oh, I had to be two steps closer to the door. And it's like, come on. Like, so you got me overthinking about what would have otherwise been a very satisfying puzzle because the core, the core, like, piece of gameplay was too janky to, to, to make work. So I had to overthink and therefore miss the point of your entire really well designed puzzle. And that's, that sucks. Yeah, you gotta... You got to make sure that the the mechanics are thought out and polished. Like if that's the main part of your exactly. game, it's got to work consistently. Um, absolutely. I can't really think of another example. Like I know I've encountered, encountered that before. I just can't think of an example of uh, exactly when, when I would have. But um. Something that comes to mind for me when I think about puzzles is I think there's a particular kind of puzzle that people shit on a lot that I personally enjoy okay. and I don't have a problem with. And that's sliding block puzzles. Oh, I, think I like people, sliding block puzzles. I, I keep hearing people not like them so much. Like people criticize, hmm. um, I've heard people criticize uh, Snow Peak Ruins and Twilight Princess hmm. for having sliding block puzzles. I enjoy those. I think they're fun. They're they're a nice puzzle to unwrap. And I'll say Pokemon did them quite well, yeah. I think. You weren't necessarily sliding on blocks, but sliding yourself. And I can remember a particular like cave, like there's an ice cave in Gold and Silver mm-hmm. that you have to navigate through in that way. And I like those ones. And that's something that I think was sorely lacking from, I guess, all more recent Pokemon games because they don't do that kind of puzzle anymore. Um, and I, I should have brought this up uh, a couple weeks ago when when we talked about Pokemon, uh, our twenty fifth anniversary celebration. But um, I kind of want them to bring that back. I don't want them to bring HMs back mandatory moves yeah. that you have to oh, teach no. but i do want them to bring back some sense of uh, of solving puzzles and and making like making victory road not just difficult to get through because of all the dangerous pokemon or, mm-hmm. or high level trainers making it difficult to get through for the puzzles that you have to solve like the, the block puzzles are like navigating the dungeon um and even just making gyms more fun like sword and shield kind of started with some interesting challenges but i never really did any cool puzzles like uh like some of the other games have had in the past like the dragon gym in um in gold and silver you have to push blocks yeah, onto a, about that. another floor to figure out how to get your way to the gym leader 
mm-hmm. like stuff like that was really cool. Um, and I was thinking about that more so because that's that's the second part of Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle. There's the overworld oh. exploration and then the combat, and they do a lot of sliding block puzzles and and puzzles in the overworld. Mm. That I was talking to our friend uh, our friend Ben, who has also been playing that game, and he hates that yeah. part of the game. I'm like, I like it. I enjoy it a lot. I thought it was uh, like there. There's a lot of simple stuff, and yes, maybe it can feel a little tedious at times. But for the most part, I thought they had some pretty good puzzles going on. I'm going to assume that our acceptance and tolerance for sliding block puzzles probably has to do with growing up with Zelda. Zelda and Pokemon. Zelda and po- yeah, exactly. Zelda and Pokemon, yeah. I should say. I, I think the yeah. only time I'm not a fan, and I, and I actually can't remember a specific example. I see it, but I can't remember which game or what it was for. I like the whale, the, the whale. I mean, I do like Whale Lord. Um, I like whales I, whale, Whales and Whale Lord are great. Um, I do like when like scaling happens it's like okay you've encountered your first sliding block puzzle in this cave and it's a small little self-contained thing that just happens in one frame mm-hmm. of of view you do it hey that's satisfying oh okay well we're gonna have in the same room it's a big room with like two separate kind of uh two kind of separate but still attached uh you know areas where you have to meet the two blocks in the middle or something whatever right so you're scaling up naturally or it's like oh Here's one floor with a small frame contained sliding block puzzle, but there's a hole in the ceiling and you got to drop one. You got to go to the other, you know, uh, like you were saying, the other floor to drop the block down or something. That's great. Mm -hmm. I don't like it and or I do like it, but like I find myself towards the end of it going like, okay, when's this done is when they combine the two of like, it's a giant field of view and there's three floors. (laughs) <laughs> to the block puzzle it's like okay let's calm down a little bit it's not that i can't figure this out it's just that you you i think one thing that that's key to the satisfaction of a puzzle and its challenge is does is the core mechanic of the puzzle interesting and rewarding enough to warrant the ambition and scale of it right yeah and i don't as much as i actually do like sliding ball puzzles as we've established we both do I don't think they're that interesting that I would no, I would no. have an entire tower devoted to an eight floor block puzzle. It's like okay, no, now no. you can fuck I, I, I would I would not I would definitely <laughs> not go that far. That would be very tedious. Because mm-hmm. like yeah, like the act of actually moving the blocks can be slow, obviously. Um, so having to do that on like three different floors would be awful. Um, but that kind of does bring up another point of, of of puzzle solving in Zelda specifically, and that's kind of thinking of thinking of a whole area and contextualizing a whole area as a puzzle. So like something like the Water Temple in Ocarina of Time, or uh, the Water Temple in Twilight Princess, Lake Bed Temple. That's what it's called, or. Um, I mean, to an extent, I guess, Eagle's Tower in Link's Awakening, like those kind of puzzles where you've got this this large part of the of the dungeon that you're manipulating 
I guess it's also with the divine beast where you're manipulating a large part of this dungeon and you have to think about how it's going to affect other parts of the, of the, of the area. So that's, that's a kind of a, a cool part of, 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 you know, solving a puzzle is tying it to your memory and how well you can draw a mental map of where you're going and where and what you need to change and where um that i think the zelda dungeons do really well yeah like zelda man zelda one thing that they do so well zelda games is like you know we've talked about specific types of puzzles so like maquette maquette it's like oh the size scaling thing and then we talked about sliding block puzzles and all that stuff and if, but of course, some of the most magical and memorable puzzles happen when there's a fusion of different things happening at once. But obviously, mm-hmm. you run a massive risk of overdoing it or to the point where it becomes too obtuse and just doesn't really make that much natural sense. Like, it's not very intuitive to the point where it's like, yeah, I would not have fucking figured this out unless I'd looked it up. Very, on, I, I think maybe very few occasions I've done that with Zelda games. And that's probably because I was a kid and just didn't mm-hmm. have the same understanding but man zelda is masterful at just c- combining puzzle ideas enough without going too far or trying too hard about it like there's the whole like, like i i think one of my i know we weren't going to talk about fi- like the best puzzles ever or like the exact levels like i know we weren't going to talk about that but now that i think about it man fucking tower of the gods in wind waker Mm -hmm. like yeah the the key thing was the sort of like mind control of these little statues but within that the the statues encountered a lot of different sort of puzzles like it's like okay the basic version is you know take the statue mind control and move it onto this platform so that two switches could be active at once while you stand on the other one but then there's like i don't know all kinds of like uh barrier based ones where it's like oh make it stand over here so it avoids the laser and then blah 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 like they just took that one gimmick and applied it in so many different contexts that it felt like a massive fusion of different puzzles together across an entire dungeon and that to me is the magic of zelda puzzles it's not that they're always the hardest it's not that they're just mind bending but it's just that they have these really satisfying fusions of ideas and then they execute it in a uh, you know aesthetically pleasing and consistent way across like a whole level or a whole dungeon. Yeah, they they do that really well. Like Nintendo, I think in their like design across all of their games, no matter what it is. Like if you look at all their platformers and stuff, they're really good at introducing mechanics and then scaling them up in terms of difficulty like mario is masterful at that now um as is like donkey kong and yeah zelda in terms of its puzzle solving is is like that too and another one uh i i I think i'll probably say this is my last game that i'll mention but captain toad Mm. those little puzzle box uh dioramas are a like a joy to unfold like they're not necessarily that difficult to figure out but I always have fun doing them uh, in 3D World and in in the actual Captain Toad Treasure Tracker game. Um, 
you know, there's a lot to play with uh, perspective and moving blocks and, you know, figuring out what's uh, like where to go when you pick up one of those pickaxe abilities and, and all that kind of stuff that it just does super well. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think the last thing I want to say about puzzles and games in general is not not just encourage people to play puzzle games because okay i think you'll encounter a lot of action games and a lot of adventure games where there's puzzles you may think zelda zeldas are not puzzle games and yet they're famous for their puzzles well it's just because that when they do implement them as part of the adventure game it's implemented very well so aside Mm -hmm. from those games that provide you puzzles within the game i would encourage people who don't normally play puzzle devoted games as in like part of the puzzle genre to play or try more of them because I think there's a lot of people I kind of like you heard you hear a lot of people talk about they don't like uh, the block sliding puzzles. I actually hear just a lot of people who enjoy puzzles and games but don't like puzzle games. Hmm. And I would encourage people to try and break out of that a little bit. And mainly it's because of my irrational kind of funny fear that I have, which is, you know, obviously I love video games. I have I have a K for video games as education, as art as storytelling all that all that good stuff but like you know obviously you should do everything in moderation you shouldn't play too many video games you can absolutely get addicted to playing video games and all that stuff and while there are no consequences of like oh my god video games equals real life violence no that's bullshit it's been proven false time and time again there's always a small little part a little little voice in the back of my head that's like but what if playing Halo and Destiny and Zelda and all these other games that don't really give you like a puzzly brain challenge? What if what if it does rot your brain? Like again, it's not rational. It's not me. I don't actually believe right. that. But it's just this little like fear voice in my head. It's just like, but what if you are wasting your brain a little bit? It's like, oh, oh god, okay, okay. But I'm definitely the witness. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I got to play that Sudoku game. You know, I gotta I gotta right. play this crossword. You know, just to keep your brain active and engaged in that and that way but so play those games because i think it is good for your brain to just play puzzles Mm -hmm. but also in doing so as a side benefit you'll get to see i think some of the best overall game design ever seen with like you know your tetrises of the world with i and not that i've played much of it yet I'm, i'm getting more into it but a lot of people say the witness because that is an impressive game so far with the puzzles they offer like just so yeah just just go for that that double-edged sword of positivity of like you know what i'm gonna engage my brain a little bit more by devoting it to like tangible problem solving but also you know get to see some really really cool some of the coolest ideas ever presented in all of games regardless of genre yeah and uh you, you kind of touched on like I, I guess this is the last thing i'll say um in terms of puzzle solving and it's somewhat related but you touched on like playing people who don't like puzzle games um playing these other games like shooters and stuff i could argue that you know you could find a puzzle in any game you could find a puzzle in a combat game mm-hmm. like halo or doom because it might be a puzzle to figure out who do i kill first <laughs> Like that in itself, to make it easier for you, that is in itself can be a puzzle. Like, who do I kill first so that they're not, you know, 
attacking me a shit ton so that I can then take care mm. of this this enemy so they don't spawn new ones or something like that. Like, you know, you can you can find a puzzle in everything, and I I think that's kind of beautiful. That was that was wholesome, James. Thank you. That was, I really like that. You're you're on, you're on fire with the transitions today. How was that a transition? That was transition slash encapsulating moments. Okay, like we're, right. you know, putting putting in the bookmark and closing the book, putting a bow on. Putting, it. That's the phrase. There we go. There we go. You're, you're, okay. You've been good at putting a bow on stuff today. You're, Thank you're, you. You're Thank a cute you. little gift raptor. Gift raptor. Oh. Gift raptor. Oh, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but raptors can't be gift wrappers because their arms are too small. So how does that work? Their, their arms aren't as small as T-Rex arms, so they might okay. be able to cut it. Okay. But you know what the problem is? They have claws, so they just rip through the paper. Yeah. Well, aside- the really great gift opener is aside from trying to figure out how a raptor would be a gift wrapper. Uh, what else have you done this week? Uh, I, as I said, I played Hugh, um, and the other games I started playing were Crash Bandicoot. Ooh. I downloaded the insane trilogy on PlayStation cause it was free. I have some issues. <laughs> I have a lot of issues Depth with perception. it. <laughs> that's, that's the big one. That's, that's the big, big one. Yeah. Uh, those uh those bridge levels like with the fog and the and the the falling like boards awful i hated those i don't think they're well designed at all mm. i would argue a lot of crash bandicoot is not well designed <laughs> um, I see. okay i think one one big weird problem that it had was okay i i will say Okay, I don't know if I can say I fully enjoyed the first one. There were parts that were like, yeah, this is fine. I, I, I think this is all right. And I'm not someone who... I'm not saying it's bad because it's challenging. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it's a bad game. Maybe it's just not for me. Well, I mean, maybe I am saying it's a bad game. I don't know. Because <laughs> um, like, I played Celeste all the way through, pretty much. And I, mm. I loved that. That's an insanely hard game, but it... It ramps it up really well. It teaches so you the well mechanics designed. in a really great in a really great way, um, and you know every time you fail, you know it's your fault and it's not the game's fault. Basically, Crash Bandicoot. There's a pretty, I'd say like a seventy thirty split between me thinking it's the game's fault and me thinking it's my fault. Mm. maybe 60 40 i think more times than not i feel like it's the game's fault but jeez maybe i was just maybe that was just me in a in a moment of rage and and just wanting to blame something other than myself i don't know but one thing that i think is objectively bad is the the enemy design Mm -hmm. is like all over the place in terms of how you can interact with them because and this is addressed in the second game really simply and you know makes perfect sense so like you know how in mario uh you see a goomba you know you can jump on it kind of like the language just tells you the shape of it it's squishy it's rounded it's safe to jump on yeah and if something has spikes on it you can't jump on it that's obvious Mm. so there's no visual language in crash bandicoot really in the first one to tell you 
what you can kill by spinning into it or jumping onto it. So like there's, I mean, I guess with the exception of one enemy, like there's an enemy with a shield that you can't spin into because they've got a shield. So what you have to do is you jump on them. They block you with the shield at the top, but then once you jump off, you can spin and attack them because their shield is still above their head. That makes sense. That's a fine enemy design. I have no problem with that. But then there are these, uh, these lizards that jump around and nothing about them tells you you can't spin into them and, and kill them. Hmm. But you can't. There's no reason, like nothing about their design tells me that I can't do that. You have to jump on them. I, I don't know why, hmm. what makes them different to everything else. And then on those bridge levels that, I think everyone agrees are terrible. There are these boar enemies that are running back and forth. You can't kill them in any way. You can't spin into them or jump on them. There's no reason for this at all. Mm. Like why, like why, what makes this animal different to a fucking snake that pops out of the ground that I can kill or, or a carnivorous plant that I can kill by spinning into it. There's no difference like in terms of the design which is ridiculous. Yeah. But Crash Bandicoot 2 immediately addresses that by having, you know, the turtles that you can't spin into, they have spiky shells. Perfect. Or the ones you can't jump on, they have like chainsaw blades coming out of their backs. (laughs) Great. I know I can't jump onto that. That's perfect, you know, resolved. Um, But then in the second one, I have, you know, issues with like, there's the, the ice physics are the fucking worst ice physics I've ever, ever seen in a game. They're really? terrible. You can't even fucking move, basically, when you get onto the ice. If you jump, you don't gain any air control at all. You're just stuck in place. But you can't, like, if you try to move in the direction, you ended up going backwards somehow. Like, I don't know. It's just it's just terrible. Jeez. It doesn't make any sense. Yet here I am still playing them. I don't really know why, honestly. Like, yeah. Like something is telling me that it's just going to get better. And I feel like the fourth one is better because it's more modern. And I feel like I'll still want to try it. Yeah, I, I actually do want to try uh, Crash 4. It's about time. I, I do. And I always remember, like, I, I first played Crash on the original Xbox, actually. Because even though I know it's a PlayStation game, like, the, some of the older ones came out on the on Xbox. Was the original on Xbox? I can't remember if it... Or was it just a different... Once I Activision don't think it was... Sorry, it wasn't right. the original, but it was an earlier Crash Bandicoot game. Okay. Uh, I can't remember. But I did play the original Crash Bandicoot for a brief moment when I was, like, nine years old at a family friend's house in England. So that's... Long little tongue, tongue twister there. Um, I think it was about a year before the play, a year or two before PlayStation 3 came out and this family friend had a PlayStation 1 and they had like three games. One of them was Crash Bandicoot. I remember playing and go like, I feel like I'm, I'm a bad gamer. Like I'm so used to playing Mario and I'm, I'm pretty good at Mario, but why can't I play this well? I feel like I'm a laughing stock right now. And I got eventually, mm-hmm. and that to me is just not even like the stuff you were talking about. It's just the co- the main way crash feels and moving in the air and running i was always just eh with but another thing and i i hate using this phrase because people overuse it as an attention seeking thing but i actually think this is kind of a hot take i think this is i might rightfully classify as a hot take 
a lot of people say kind of like with the mario 35th anniversary stuff uh the issues that nintendo's been putting there and a lot of other bad stuff that nintendo does it's like oh if any other if any other company did this oh my god it would get shit on blah 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 blah. but as soon as nintendo does it no one says a thing that's not true there's a lot of blowback but for like as far as okay that's 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 an example of like company apologists there's a lot of nintendo apologists we'll call them Mm-hmm. I think there's a fuckload of crash apologists. Like, yeah. if this was <laughs> any other game that didn't have a recognizable mascot like Crash, like if this if this was even Spyro, even if this was Spyro, because Spyro is well known, but it's not quite Crash Bandicoot level. That's that like Crash, Sonic, and Mario. Like those are the the the, the kind of like '90s and 2000s faces there. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, if it was any other 3d platform mascot trying to compete with mario and it played but it played just like crash bandicoot literally we're talking the same game just visually it is not crash bandicoot i don't think it would be celebrated as much i don't think people would be as kind to it and people wouldn't just be like no that's part of the charm to it and the challenge of it i'm not saying they're bad games but like generally speaking the story is uninteresting the characters are not that lovable crashes i actually like the design of crash but it, it got better over time like it was kind of rough at first the movement is just jankier by comparison to other 3d platformers even non-major ones the, and like you were saying there i can't i specifically can't speak for the the kind of visual language of crash bandicoot one i can't remember that well but yeah that that sounds about right from what i have played of crash games of like mm-hmm. the lack of just intuitive communication that is important yeah. for any player to play and yet here we are. It's just like, oh, dude, it's Crash Bandicoot, man. It's one of the best. It's like, oh, my God, it's amazing. I don't get it, man. I I, I get I, I'm, I I'm glad I it exists. I, I mm-hmm. think Crash coming to Smash would be super cool. I'm glad he exists. I'm glad I actually, people love Smash. I, I, I don't. I don't genuinely have this thought, but the thought one of the thoughts crossing my mind when I started like not enjoying the first Crash game was like, fuck i don't want him in smash anymore like i'll be <laughs> mad if he gets in smash but obviously i don't feel that no, way. yeah i would be like i don't know what he would do in smash necessarily that would make him that interesting at this point probably the, that played the a bit spinning more. move and like oh yeah but like float, what else yeah, i don't know there's not really that much throwing, that he does like fruits or whatever it'd have to be that or like something to do with crates yeah so but anyway uh, go on i'll have more I, thoughts i will on say crap, it's but. like one thing okay one thing i do like about crash is that okay back when like mario 64 was a thing banjo kazooie and tui were a thing you know those the the 3d sandbox mario platformers are kind of collectathony games whereas the mm-hmm. 2d ones less so you're just progressing through the story uh progressing through each level you know zone two level one and stuff like that and then but but Crash Bandicoot, even though it is 3D, it, it's a very like almost like not rail shooter, but you know what I mean? Like on a rail, very linear paths, yeah, automated yeah. platforming that involved a lot of collectibles. So kind of a cool fusion. So that's that's kind of one thing I think Crash did that in it, it yeah, that's unique to but, Crash relatively. But I will say this, like I'm not like I'm having some fun here and there with the games going for a hundred percent or trying to crash like smash all the boxes mm-hmm. 
is not fun. Like, I don't know how anyone could have fun with that. It's horrible. Like, it's not fun at all. Yeah. Having to do that. Because, like, there's certain, like, there's, like, a string of, of crates that you can jump on and they'll break. But you have to go and jump on, like, every single one individually, slowly inch your way forward. And if you slip up and don't press the button far enough, you're just going to slip off the side of the crate and fall right off. Like, how is that fun? It's not. Yeah. Precision platforming to that degree and 3D, no less, sucks. I'll just say that. It's bad. I don't think, like, Celeste is a, there's tight platforming in it. I don't think it's as precise. It's not as precise. As that. It's, it's not, rhythmic. It's it's yeah, really exactly. is a rhythmic game. You get into exactly, a flow but state. like with with Crash, like I think that's what they were going for. But because of the angles you're looking at and the precision you have to have, it just does not work. Where you're just like, my hands sweat so much when I play this game. <laughs> like I'm just so like stressed out by like I don't want to fuck this up again. But then I've also got the mindset of. I'm not going to bother getting a hundred percent, but something in me still wants to try and get all the crates I can in the level. Like, I, I don't know what's going on with my, my mind there and my style of playing. Mm-hmm. Like I'm definitely not going to go for a hundred percent in any of these games. And I've heard crash four is awful for that. Like it's, it's not fun. Like so many people who love that game just say, don't, don't go for the hundred and hundred and four percent or whatever Something it is. Like that, yeah. Um, one thing I'll say too, it, again, it's been a while since I played a crash game, but I did play quite a bit of crash for a bit uh, on my original Xbox. And I think also game boy advance. I'm pretty sure. But anyways, um, one person, one, one archetype of an internet dwelling gamer that I hate. And even aside aside from the accessibility conversation that it now that is now more prominent you know i hate people who show off their difficulty boners like oh Mm. oh, i played this on a i never play a game on normal that's how amazing i am my parents didn't give me enough enough attention as a child so i embed this as a personality trait and it's like (laughs) shut the fuck up like i don't care what difficulty play game on and a lot of these people, stereotypically, not everybody, but stereotypically, you know, big one is the Dark Souls fan base, right? Mm-hmm. This is the Dark Souls of that. Oh, you don't know a real challenge in a game, so you play Dark Souls. It's exhausting. And again, this is aside from the much more important accessibility conversation of why there's difficulty levels and why people should accept more you know, difficulty levels and people playing at those rates and stuff, whatever. Yeah. yeah. But like, at least with Dark Souls... It is an extremely difficult game across the board, but the difficulty, I've played a little bit of Demon's Souls, and I've tried Dark Souls before, and I've watched a lot of people play Dark Souls, and I've watched countless essays and discussions, whatever it may be on Dark Souls. It is, cons- the difficulty that you run into with different bosses are extremely difficult, and quite frankly, inaccessible to some people, but it is it is consistent. It is so consistent why something is difficult and it's all about almost kind of like Celeste. You have to get into this dance with a boss, Mm -hmm. right? It is a lot of it is memorization and timing. However, with something like crash, if you die to a boss in a dark souls game, you can go, 
oh shit, it's because I swiped my sword at this time, but actually during that moment, they took two steps back, and and now is now that I'm vulnerable from that sword swing, they just chopped my head off. And it's like, in that moment, it totally might seem unfair, and I get if you're frustrated. But at the very least, you can get past that little frame, and then they'll kill you in a different way past that frame. And it's a slow chug forward, but at least there's a tangible moment you can point to and go, ah, that's why. Die again. Ah, mm-hmm. that's why. With yeah. Crash, you know from the first time you die why you didn't complete the level as a whole. It's because, oh, I was reaching the end of this icy platform and I didn't press A to jump uh, uh, 0.5 second earlier. That's not a knowledge-based thing. That is only reaction time and there is no telling if I'll actually be able to improve that the next time around because it's just so subtle and so like not dependent on my actual understanding of the game. You know, it's just, it's reaction, it's reflexes. And, but it's like reflexes. And again, yes, obviously improving your reflexes is an important part of games. But again, when you include that unnecessary level of precision, you're you're not learning anything is what I'm getting at. Like you're not learning Mm -hmm. anything. Therefore, it's not satisfying. And you don't, you, you keep going through these levels knowing exactly why you die or in the case of bad enemy design having no fucking idea why you died and you yeah. just if you're not learning anything you're not getting better at the game if you're not getting better at the game you're just kind of going through it for the sake of going through it and not enjoying it and that's why i think yeah. crash again i'm happy it's around i will always support new crash games existing if you love crash that's great love the games that you love but I don't get it personally. The the amount of love for Crash, I don't understand. Yeah. Uh, last thing I'll say because I just I just remembered on in terms of like visual design. So if you see if you see a hippo in a game, <laughs> and it's like acting as a platform. Okay. What? How do you think that platform should act? Should it be bouncy? I was gonna say bouncy or like oh let me guess is it does the hippo get mad and like try to snap you up like while you're mm. jumping over it like one of those two th- options yeah. yeah bouncy I would say those yeah so every other enemy in every enemy in Crash Bandicoot is like an animal of some kind mm. all the platforms usually are just like platforms yeah. they're not Wood living or metal platforms yeah right so if you come across a hippo in the water and you have to jump across them like there's two of them and you have to jump across them to get to the other side naturally at least for me i would assume okay so this is another enemy or it's an animal if i jump on it i'll bounce up and i can bounce on the next one and then go forward yeah so i jump on the hippo i hold the a button to try and you know keep my bounce going Mm -hmm. and hold the forward control stick forward so i go I land on the hippo. I don't bounce. I just land flat and I walk off the edge and die because the hippo is not bouncy at all. Like, okay. <laughs> but, but why? Like, like every other, everything else in every other level of the game tells me if I jump on any animal, doesn't matter what it is, I will bounce at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, the hippo is different. And I don't know why. Like, why couldn't you just made it? The hippo didn't even go away when I jumped on it. Like, why couldn't you just make it a regular platform? Yeah. 
Like there was no point to that. Anyway, that's that was another frustrating thing. What have you been up to this week? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I started and beat Maquette. It was good. Sorry, what's that? I see. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, Plus fam. Thank you. Plus, Plus fam. Yeah. Um, so beat Maquette. Uh, I I just wanted. Not only do I appreciate short and snappy games more these days, but even just like a mindless, dumb fun game, and. Mm-hmm. In the, I guess I've had an Annapurna Interactive week because I played Don- yeah. Donut County. Ah, so Donut good. County is so good, man. Just it's so it's so fun. It's so mindless, but it, it's it's great, and it's so short and simple that actually it's a really if uh whether you play it on is it on PlayStation? It's on PlayStation, right? Yeah, it's on all yeah, it's on platforms. all platforms. Okay, so if you play it on PlayStation, you know you can get trophies, and then obviously Xbox is gamer score. I played on Xbox because it's on Game Pass. And I realized like, oh my gosh, I'm racking in the achievements on this thing. I'm going to go for the full thousand gamer score on this thing. And they were all fun. There was only one, even though there were some secret achievements, there's only one that I had to look up. And it was because it's like, you have to, I think it's like an optional thing. Like when you're infiltrating, sorry for spoilers, if you want to play Donut County, still play because it's fun. Um, at the end, when you're infiltrating the raccoon HQ, uh, you can go through as intended where you just have to mess up all their operations. And then eventually you fight the boss of like the big, (laughs) the giant quadcopter, um, (laughs) or as part of a secret achievement, when you're in this bio lab where you have to like control the direction of like this, like, like wall facing crane sort of thing that pulls out little boxes to the wall. If you do, if the secret little code of directional, like a directional sequence code, you can unlock a vault of gold in another room. And that Mm -hmm. gives you a secret achievement. I had no idea what the code was. And I ended up looking at a video and it's like, oh, up, up, left, down, right. I'm like, how the fuck was I supposed to know that, man? I'm going to talk about this on the podcast of how like. Is it somewhere? I I feel like I was. That's what I'm getting at. That's what I'm getting at. I might have looked Is I looked it up. And I was like, man, how the fuck was I supposed to figure that out? How is anyone supposed to figure that out? Man, what the hell? Like everything else was like you could figure out easily and it's like easy to take in. But like, how is anyone supposed to just luckily guess this? And it's like, no, wait a second. The lo- the name of the achievement is called Bandit. And I'm like, Bandit? Oh, that's right. At the be- At the entrance of Raccoon HQ, there's like a burglar trying to get in to the HQ and as you're scooping up stuff with the hole, a crumpled piece of paper falls from the bandit and into the hole. And you can go back into your trashopedia, which is like your index of all the garbage you've picked up in the hole. Mm-hmm. And you can open up the crumpled letter and it has the code on it. So that's right. what you were supposed to use right. to, to do it. I was like, ah, okay, that's really good, actually. Uh, I, I just, I guess I didn't see the paper that I picked up. Um, so anyways. Yeah. Donut County, yeah. easy thousand gamer score. Highly suggest that's, that's, Game Pass. It's great. I, I loved going through the Trashopedia though. Like those descriptions yeah. were hilarious. <laughs> the dialogue in general, really the writing cool. is hilarious. Like it's so oh yeah. It's, it's so great. dry Gen Z of just like huh, lol, okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> like uh I don't even know how to describe it. It's great. That's a good one. So we'll uh play anything else? A shitload of Master Chief collection being off this week of just Doing a bunch of online uh, online matchmaking, getting some achievements there, uh, mm-hmm. and I played Dead by Daylight for the first time with my my girlfriend Rosemary, um, 
and Dead by Daylight, one thing I will say, I'm actually enjoying it quite a bit. You could either choose to play as a survivor or the killer, and the goal is to turn on you're kind of in like this horror set piece and the killers try to kill all of you that's how the killer wins and you win by escaping the set piece and into freedom um Mm -hmm. and the only way you can escape is by turning on five generators which will in turn open up a gate switch and if you switch on the gate you can run through and escape uh you get more points for the more people that escape though so you try to encourage some form of uh, of teammate communication um Mm -hmm. and as this is a is this the right term asymmetrical multiplayer game asymmetrical right yeah Yeah. it's an asymmetrical multiplayer game where the the killer has a bunch of different powers and perks that they can have and as you level up you can get more and more powerful perks and abilities and same thing with the survivors and then there's also items there's a lot of different mechanics going on and a lot of them are really powerful but even though it's an asymmetrical game with all of these variables it is such a fair game it is so well balanced aside from smash bros ultimate which is an achievement on its own of being able to balance what is going to be like what 80 plus characters that in and of itself is incredible an an incredible achievement that only something like nintendo could pull off that quality on across the board i think this is the most balanced game i've ever played it from a, a a perspective of where balance really matters because it's a multiplayer game it is so impressive like, I actually recommend giving it a try because it's like, even if you're not a horror person, it's kind of a fun change up to, I don't know, like a having a multiplayer kind of night where you have to like work as a team and, and talk together and communicate. Um, it is really impressive in that sense, man. So, yeah, play a few matches. I tend to play a little bit more. It was a lot of fun. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Good to know. Well, I think that about does it. Oh, for, you, you weren't uh, playing anything else aside from Crash? No really oh you poor soul yeah yeah well i mean we're gonna play rocket league i think after this recording i might have to eat lunch first yeah um and then i'm gonna try the new among us map on the weekend Mm -hmm. so hopefully that's good but yeah other than that um yeah just just crash i think after i finish crash i'm gonna play i think i'm gonna play batman again arkham asylum nice I, i have the the three arkham games like the main trilogy so i might go through those uh that or outer wilds i, I haven't decided outer yet. wilds i just decided for you okay do it um all right but yeah. before we i sign off here quick i might try doing this every now and then not on every episode but every now and then a uh, quick reminder because it's a new month um for today's as of the recording of this episode is april 1st right now so uh, unfortunately april fools uh outriders is out today which normally i wouldn't give a shout out to but it's be it's like kind of the first major new third-party game that's out on game pass day one so that's a big release that if you're interested in looter shooters hey if you have game pass for super cheap you can get it for you know not for free but as part of that service day one as out today that's super cool uh also on the topic of april fools real quick uh we don't really give a shit about april fools and usually it's pretty stupid uh one thing that is stupid that happened that should be acknowledged because it's misinformation is kotaku uh famous video game publication fell for an early april fools joke in which a fake halo twitter account announced the delay of halo infinite to 2022 that is not the case that was not true Halo uh, Infinite is still slated to come out in fall of this year, 2021. So just keep that in mind. Uh, And also at the end of this month, 
April 30th is when the new Pokemon Snap is coming out. So please pick up that game and give it a shot. Uh, yeah, new month, new games, new excitement. Good shit. Absolutely. And if you don't already know, we're available on all major platforms, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. Please give us a review if you can. Uh, give us some feedback or content ideas. If you want to have any other discussions around video games or the show itself, you can find us on Twitter at Logbook Podcast. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Mario is dead. Long live Luigi. Rip. <laughs>